Well, you did make it with a time change, huh? Not too bad. I know uh, there's been a lot of discussion about the time change and why it happened and, and, and wherefore and all that kind of stuff. Let me give you a, a real quick breakdown. One of the things that we have been noticing is certain trends in our congregation. And this one in particular. Things like, um, for the first time in 27 years, we did not increase in our Easter attendance. Not across eight campuses, we didn't increase. The first time in 27 years. Now, this campus did a little better, that campus did a little worse, this campus did a little better, it, but it averaged out that we had no increase in the year. So we began to look and push and, and say, and we began to see some things that bothered us, that concerned us. Uh, and a lot of it had to do with the 37067 zip code, the area that is reached by this campus. While we were looking at other campuses and responding to those opportunities, Brentwood changed, and it changed a lot. Uh, it's, uh, people are moving into Brentwood from California, Illinois, New York, uh, all the places that we as Southern Baptists used to call pioneer areas. How many of you are old enough Southern Baptists to know those were pioneer areas? Okay, which means we didn't have a whole lot of Southern Baptists there, which means when these people come to Middle Tennessee, they are not looking for a church home. It's just not on their radar. We were losing market share, to use the business term. So we began to ask around. We began to do some surveys. Uh, and we found out that folks would give us one hour on Sunday morning. This hour. Now, I grew up where you had two hours on Sunday morning, you had two hours on Sunday night, and you had all you could stand on Wednesday night. <laughs> and you didn't love Jesus unless you did all of that. Now, with the pressure on families and time and all of that, people will give us one hour on Sunday morning. This has to be the time. They won't give us 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock is a hard, hard time for people in our community, for the people we're trying to reach. So we had to move things back just a little bit, which made the change happen. Now, I hate to tell you this, but this is just the first change. <laughs> of several. Now, uh, a lot of you are panicked, and um, you're going to do away with the choir. No. <laughs> Didn't say anything about the choir. I, I, I'm hurt that none of you said you're going to do away with the preacher. You said we're going to do away with the choir. <laughs> I'm hurt by that. Here's what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to break it down. The people in our community will give us one hour on Sunday morning. We're going to do our best to make this the most powerful, Christ-centered, cross-focused moment of your life. 
And whatever we have to do, whoever has to lead the worship, whoever has to read, whatever we have to do to make that happen is what we're going to do. Now we're going to start training you and picking out you as leaders to do the small groups in your homes. The same people that would give us one hour on Sunday morning won't come back for Sunday school. They'll go down the street to your house. So that's where it's going to happen. Uh, we're not going to build any more big facilities like this. Our facilities will be small, uh, like you're seeing in Nolensville, uh, limited around 500 or so. Uh, they would be used multiple times, but they will be community-focused and community-centered. And that's where the future is, and that's where we're going. Uh, and uh, this is an exciting time because a lot of folks are asking questions that only Jesus can answer. And uh, so that's, that's what's driving us, is how we reach this community for Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that's driving us. And if something doesn't help us reach people for Jesus, we're not going to do it. And we're going to find the thing that does. So that kind of gives you a little short uh, answer. If you want to know more, you can always email me. Uh, I have no hobbies. <laughs> this is what I do. And uh, this is all I think about. This is all I read about. And, um, uh, you know, I got excited because uh, I read an article that Heinz ketchup, okay, is all messed up now because Heinz ketchup has to have at least 20 types of ketchup. And the article says they're having to take over a market now with 20 types of ketchup when they used to rule it with one. Ketchup was ketchup, right? Now we have jalapeno ketchup. You can get ketchup you can slice. I've had that. <laughs> it meant it was time to throw it out. <laughs> yeah, I'm I was a bachelor long enough to slice ketchup. Come on, guys, you know that. <laughs> See, that's what's happening in our world. And, uh, and everybody's having to respond to that, even the church. is how we find that new language and do that. Do you use maps on your phone? I do too, all the time. I'm always trying to find this, search for that. Tell me where this is, shortest way. And, and I just live by that, that lady's voice. In one mile, bare left. Or, here's my favorite one. At the nearest safe place, make a U-turn. You know, when we first moved into our, our house, we moved in there 12 years ago, we weren't on the map. So you type in our, our, our address, and it was just blackness. And if you, if you said, well, where are you? And you hit, well, I'm right here. It would have this little blue dot in the middle of all this blackness. We're nowhere. Thought I was here, but I'm not. Do you know these maps aren't always right? Huh? Have you had that adventure? Did you see the article in the paper a few weeks ago where these people now are having to put up big signs in their driveway? This is not a street. <laughs> because, because these maps were sending up, up their driveway. What's a tough place, isn't it, when you realize your map's wrong? When you realize that you don't know how to get where you want to go. So what in the world do you do when your map is wrong? You better have a good compass. Amen. 
So Paul reminds us in his first letter to the Corinthians. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll begin reading with verse 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of the age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks ask seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Greek. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Yet to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Like the Corinthian church, we have a lot of information and a lot of what is called wisdom. But like them, we know that it is failing. So we pray. We can hear Paul's word to his church and your word to us that it's the cross and the cross alone. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Corinth was a city of vitality, energy, uh, had a great nightlife. Uh, it was a port city, so people came from all over the Roman Empire and were living there. There was a lot going on. Uh, it had one of those reputations kind of like Vegas. Uh, you know, what, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And if you wanted to insult somebody and question their morality, what you did was you called them a Corinthian. You can imagine with all of these different streams of philosophy and theology and uh, public opinion and all of that and all of the world's teachings coming together in this little city that Paul had a time with the church and he did. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Corinthian letters are a mishmash of Paul responding to all kinds of different issues and all kinds of different voices that are being raised in the church. Uh, they argued about uh, which spiritual gifts were the strongest. They argued about who was an apostle and who wasn't an apostle. Uh, they argued about uh, what you could do if you were saved. Was it just the body that was saved or just the spirit that was saved and the body didn't count? They had all kind of things going on. In fact, they can't even get through the first chapter without a debate, arguing about who, who it was that you had to be baptized by. Was Paul the most important person? Did you want to be baptized by him? Paul said, I only baptized two. Was Apollos uh, the most important? Was Peter? Who was it that you want to be baptized with? So on your little baptismal certificate, you could say baptized by. 
I pastored a church, First Baptist Edgefield, South Carolina, where R.G. Lee wrote the famous sermon, Payday Someday. He was there in the late 20s. Most of my senior adults, some were infants when he was there, all claimed to be baptized by R.G. Lee. It was important that they have that historical person in their life and validate their salvation experience. And here in the first chapter, they're arguing. I was baptized by Peter. I was baptized by, uh, by uh, Apollos. I was baptized by someone else. And finally, you can almost see Paul have it. I can't take this anymore. And you can hear his hand slap the table when he says, it's the cross. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus crucified. That's all that matters. And he slams the cross down in the middle of the Corinthians. In the middle of our own time, where everybody has an opinion, and where opinions have become so violent that we're scared what we say, lest someone hear it and use that to attack someone else, not just verbally, but physically. Where everybody talks and nobody understands, everybody has an answer. I'm not even sure we know the question. Paul would stand right here, right now, and say the same thing that he said to the Corinthians. It's the cross and him crucified. Now, we don't like that message, and we don't like it for a couple of reasons. One, it confronts us with the reality of our sin. It, it, it kicks us in the self-delusion that it's our little sin, our private sin, and it doesn't matter anybody. All right? It doesn't hurt anybody. It's just my little sin. It doesn't concern anybody else. It concerns Jesus Christ because that little sin is what put him on the cross. There is no such thing as your little sin. There's your obedience to the call of sin in your life, however it expresses itself, however it, it lives in your life. There is your slavery to that sin. That's what it is. It's not your little private sin that you control. The cross confronts us on those self-lies, doesn't it? It, when it confronts us on the self-lie of thinking that sin isn't all that bad. How many times have you heard somebody in the world say, well, something so-and-so happened, and it doesn't matter? But it does matter. The cross tells us how much it matters. But you know, the hardest thing for the cross about for people like us is it tells us we can't do it by ourselves. We say it all the time, don't we? Yeah, I know I have a problem, and I can handle it. I just need a little more self-discipline. I, I just little, uh, need a little more information. So what do we do? We have a problem. So we go, to the, we go to the bookstore, and we get a book on the problem. We become educated on the problem. 
we become really smart sinners. Right? Does information help? I know Oreos are fattening. I don't need for you to read the label to me. I've already read it. I don't care. <laughs> and if there's Oreos in the house, Jeannie will think she's hid them. <laughs> she doesn't know. Oreos talk to me. <laughs> They'll call me from wherever they are. I can't even whip an Oreo. I can't even whip an Oreo. How in the world are we going to handle anything that matters? You can't wrestle it down. You have to crucify it with Jesus. Amen. Amen. For I have been crucified with Christ, Paul writes the Galatians. It's not me who lives, but Christ. All of those desires, all of the ego, all of the wants, they have to be crucified with Christ. That is the power of the cross to defeat death and every expression of death in our life. You can't do it by yourself. It takes the death of Christ to set you free. Now, did you notice something else? It is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. This is how you live your best life, is as your life is, is shaped into the form of the cross, what we call cruciformation, uh, this shaping into the cross. So your desires are all left on the cross, crucified with Christ, so that the only thing you desire and the only thing you want is the power of the resurrected Christ in your own life. You want what Christ wants. You think what Christ thinks. Why? You have been crucified with him and now raised to live his resurrected life. It is the best way to live, the wisdom of how to live. You won't think that works, do you? Uh, you don't think when you read the paper and you see a story like we have been reading about that it would really make any difference in El Paso. Really make a difference in Dayton. There's one word in all of these articles that haunts me. It's the word alienated. 
every one of these young men, and most time it's young men, are alienated. They've been pushed out of some group. They've been left out of some family. And they found themselves alone, got on the internet, and found someone who would tell them, hey, it's not your fault that you're alienated. These are the people to blame. And here's who you go hurt. I was a youth minister before I was a pastor. We had those alienated kids. They would show up, nobody liked them, people were afraid of them, they thought they were weird, they thought they were creepy. And it was real easy in the youth group to be glad when they weren't there because everything went smoother. What if someone had gotten to one of these young men and said, you're not alienated? What if someone had gotten to him and said, you know, I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your pain. Jesus has come for you, and he wouldn't let death itself keep him from you. Wonder what would have happened. We're going to be talking about some hard issues in the next couple of weeks, all of them through the lens of the cross. But before we move and talk about how our life has to be guided by the cross, I need to ask you a question. Is your compass calibrated? How many of you saw Pirates of the Caribbean? You remember Jack Sparrow's compass? You remember everybody got messed up by it because every time they would see it, it would, it would twirl and it never would show true north. And some, somebody finally asked him, what's the matter with your compass? He said, oh, the compass always points to what you want most. So if you pulled out your compass... Would it point to Jesus? Or would it point to something else? We preach Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified. Why? Because Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer. He alone is the power and the wisdom of God. And if your compass doesn't point to Jesus and his cross, you're lost. Let's pray together. So in this moment, what's your compass pointing to? 
if somehow through some kind of power I could give you right now what you want most in the world, what would it be? Who would it be? If it's not Jesus, you're lost. If you think anything else or anybody else can bring you the healing and hope that you need, it's only Jesus. So our counselors have already moved to the, to the table. They're right, waiting for you right now. And a big sign says next step. They want to continue this conversation. Just tell them you want to know more about what Mike was talking about. They'll pick it up from there. But I beg you, do not leave this place with your compass not calibrated. Don't leave this place lost with your map not working and your compass not pointing north. Perhaps it's time to come be part of Brentwood Baptist Church. You come. We welcome you. Or maybe you just need someone to pray with you. Whatever it is, the Lord is waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.